So Sally, we're both savvy social media users. <laughs> Debatable, but sure. De- okay, whatever. <laughs> we <laughs> get we get there in the end. And if you do spend any time on Instagram, you'll see lots of travel stuff. So how are people paying for all this? Yeah, it seems like it's happening more and more. Maybe it's the algorithm. Who knows? Right. <laughs> blame it all on the algorithm. <laughs> I blame all of my life's problems on the Instagram algorithm, okay? <laughs> we all have friends that like to travel in one way versus mm-hmm. the other. They like to pay for it in one way and maybe use a specific online travel agent. So, today... <laughs> I'm spitting for a segue. Today... <laughs> We are going to be delving into basically how Australians finance their travel and all the interesting little facts and figures which come out of that. Yeah, so there was a Roy Morgan report last year that apparently Australians took 54 million holidays that year. That's a lot of money. So, yeah, how do we afford it? So many Australians, like myself, our financial goals are based around travelling Whereas maybe a couple of generations ago might have been, you know, towards getting married or buying a house or or like more tangible things. Whereas it seems like we're more interested in experiences now. That's right. Times are a changing. Mm-hmm. So to help us understand more about this, we have Finder's very own travel editor, Steph Yip. So she is our in-house travel expert. So whenever we want the hottest flight deals or, you know, some hacks for pretty much anywhere that you want to go around the world, she's our gal. So Steph, you're one of the travel experts at Finder, but can you give our listeners a picture of the average day in the life of Steph? Yeah. So I'm the travel editor at Finder and average day includes me finding and hunting all those beautiful flight, hotel, holiday package deals for both myself a little bit, but mainly (laughs) for our readers. So basically finding the best value holidays that you can get. I notice that there are so many deals and sales at the moment, which I guess we're going to touch on in a bit when we talk about trends. Yeah. But it definitely seems like there is so much if you want to travel. I don't know whether it's always been like this, but airlines love sending out sales. It's not a seasonal thing anymore. Every other week, an airline will put something out. Um, So they might choose a different location, they might choose different travel dates that they're particularly trying to push, but they'll almost always have something going on. Okay, so today we're going to be delving into a recent report from Roy Morgan, which basically talks all about how much Australians spend on travel. So how much does the average Australian spend on travel each year? Okay, so the average Australian, we're talking about average Australian households, that's what the data states. Um, So it's about $76 a week. And that's actually based on ABS household expenditure survey data. So that's 76 a week, but translated, that becomes 3,952 per year. And this data is from 2015 to 2016. But that gives you a good ballpark of how much we're spending per year. Yeah, that actually kind of like gels with my own spending. Yeah, that's what I was thinking as well. Yeah, I think this year is a bit of an interesting one because I've already been on two international trips, which I wouldn't usually, Mm. but I definitely have spent like more than that. (laughs) (laughs) Just on this year. (laughs) (laughs) And it seems like our financial goals as a whole are becoming more travel-based and maybe even more so than previous generations. I know that 
uh, myself included, but also a lot of my friends, like when we're talking about what we're saving up for, it's almost always travel. So why do you think that is? Why are younger people, especially uh, in Australia, you know, putting their money more towards their travels than say other things like property or or, you know, clothes or other tangible things. Food. Yeah. (laughs) We're doing things a lot later in life. We're looking at our finances a lot later in life. So we're purchasing homes a lot later. We're renting a lot longer. We're staying with our parents for a lot longer. So our financial goals aren't exactly at that point where we want to start saving for a home or we want to start looking to have a family. Mm-hmm. So we're starting to look toward experiences first while we can before we make those financial decisions. Yeah, that's mm. so interesting. I think Mark and I were talking about that and how like doing an international trip once a year is like a must for so yeah. many people. But then when we were thinking about our parents when they were our age and what they were doing and their financial goals, we were like, Whoa. Yeah, exactly. Like we are like I'm like twenty X what my parents <laughs> probably did. I think they went overseas like a, a couple times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like literally. when we were growing up, you know, like so yeah. Exactly. And things are becoming a lot more accessible these days. Prices are a lot cheaper compared to our parents. Um, there's a lot more competition out there. Like I said before, yeah. sales are dropping every other week, right? Mm. Before it probably was very seasonal, very occasional. And now there's so much in the market that they need to drop their prices in order for them to be profitable. And when we see something that's a good deal, when we see something that's cheap, how can we deny it, right? Mm, so yeah. true. And how do you think that social media and FOMO, you know, come into play as well in terms of potentially encouraging us to, to travel more than previous generations? If you look at Skyscanner's Australia Trends Report, that was from last year, they found that 73% of respondents said that word of mouth played a major role when deciding on their next destination. They also said that one in three, so about 34% gained trip inspiration from social media in general. And just about 5% said that social media is such a strong influence in their lives that they use it for bragging reasons. Mm. Wow. Mark, I'm looking at you. (laughs) You know me, I'm a social media Maven. <laughs> I've seen your Instagram account, Sarah. It's all full of food. One post a year. <laughs> that doesn't even surprise me, the FOMO element, because mm. I see it in my own life and the social media element as well. Like you'll see some of the really well-known influencers tend to go to similar places. Like you see a lot of Bali in Indonesia. Exactly. And you yeah. kind of see that recurring throughout different years. About two years back, it was a lot of Mediterranean. Last year and a bit of this year, it's a lot of Turkey. So once enough of those images start popping up on your feed, you kind of want to go, you want to be part of it. You want those bragging rights as well to say, I've done it. I've seen that place. I have that beautiful photo. Okay. So Steph, you've written a really interesting piece about how Aussies fund their holidays. Maybe you can talk us through the different spending personalities, which is, I thought, really interesting. Yeah. So I broke the article into four different spending personalities. Two of them are based on how we save for our travels and the other two are how we spend while we're away. So the first two are the saver, a bit self-explanatory, but it's somebody who actively saves to be able to afford their holiday. Then there's a borrower and that's somebody who borrows money, perhaps it's through a personal loan, perhaps it's through maybe their parents or with a credit card in order to afford their holiday break. The other two are 
how we spend when we're on holidays. There's the low cost. So that's a budgeting personality. Somebody who maybe stays in hostels, one, two star hotels, doesn't really put a lot of cost down, but wants to experience and travel a lot. And then there's the luck. So polar opposite, somebody who goes out, goes to beautiful, beautiful locations, stays in five star hotels or resorts, and kind of has that idea in their head that they're going to brag about it, maybe right. on Instagram. Ooh, <laughs> maybe a cheeky Pinterest post as well. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Which one would you say that you are, Steph? Uh, so I am a combination of the saver. Mm-hmm. So I do actively save. I like knowing that I can afford my holiday. And I used to be a low cost, but these days I'm closer to a luxe. She's oh. bougie, y'all. I like my four, five star hotels. La dee da. <laughs> it's all for reviewing purposes, Steph. It's fine. Just expense it's true. that. It's for work. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting as well because, like, you could fall in different parts of these spectrums at Definitely. different times in the same trip. Like, for example, I recently went to Brazil. We luxed it mm. um, when we were in the Amazon because we stayed at an awesome eco lodge. But then, you know, when we're in the town that's near the Amazon River, we stayed in like a really cheap place and we just did fairly cheap things because yep. we wanted to save the money for the other portion. So I'm guessing that exactly. factors in as well. Yeah. So maybe you're only one of these personalities, but most likely you're a combination of a few. Mm. What are you, Sally? I would say I'm the saver. <clears throat> and then I think I'm the same as Mark, like kind of a mix. Uh, I don't think I can afford the lux, even if I wanted to. I would say that I plan my travel with a little bit of a budget in mind, but it's what I save for. Yeah. You know do you have numbers, uh, Steph, on, for example, like what split on average people are between saving and borrowing? So for the borrowers, that's about 17% of people who were surveyed with the Carrick survey. And that's a combination of people who pay for their trip in installments, as well as people who actively borrow money for their holiday. There are other splits. Outside of these four personalities, 45%, these percentages aren't going to be 100, by the way, because you can tick multiple boxes, hold back on spending. So that kind of gets bundled up into saving because you're consciously thinking about keeping money in your bank account so that you can spend it on your finances. And then there are other types of personalities that are much, much smaller. So people who do things like side hustling or getting a second job in order to save for their trip. And then there's also about 25% of people who say that they don't do anything special. Ah, interesting. They just plough the money in and... Yeah, that's pretty much it. When they've got the money, they'll book or something like that. Yeah, so they're not actively saving, but they know that they have the money or that they're comfortable with what they have, that they don't have to do anything extra. So it's that time of the episode where we're going to jump into our rapid fire overrated versus underrated segment. Juicy. (laughs) So we'll give you a topic uh, and then you can tell us if it's overrated or underrated. Okay, so let's kick it off with travel influences. Overrated or underrated? Overrated. (laughs) do tell I think I feel like the travel influencer market is becoming very oversaturated and I feel like there are certain people who think that they are influencers when they really 
Mark, this is an intervention for you, Mark. <laughs> it's, it's definitely a big market, don't get me wrong. Clearly, we've talked about FOMO, we've talked about social media. So there are influencers that do push the mark, really do influence what we do, what we buy. And I do follow quite a few influencers myself. But I think just the spectrum of where somebody considers themselves to be an influencer is a bit too wide. Most underrated cuisine. I do love a good dumpling. Ooh. And I feel like we haven't really been talking about dumplings lately, just in general and social or in conversation. Dumplings are the unsung heroes of this world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Travelling solo, underrated or overrated? Neither. Ooh, why? Ooh, Tell yeah. me. Pros and cons? If you're happy going solo, go for it. I've travelled solo and I've travelled with friends and I've travelled with a partner. And I, I personally love, love travelling solo. You get to choose where you go. You get to sleep spend in. as much time. Sleep in. Sleep in if you want to. Sometimes you want to wake up in the morning, right? And your friends, if you're with a group, you have to wake up at the same time they do or at mm. least leave the accommodation same time they do. You can make the most of your day as a solo traveler if you want to, or you can sleep in and party the night away. You can do whatever you want. Maybe it's more underrated then in that sense where more people should be doing it because mm. it, very, it really is enjoyable. And even though I have a partner, but I still love solo traveling. What about the most underrated airline? Emirates. So I've flown Emirates a few times to Europe and they've always been really, really good. I have never had any complaints for them. Very professional. And for such a luxury airline, they're actually very price competitive. And they have very good in-flight entertainment. Do they? Yeah, they keep winning the awards for it. I'm a bit up and there with in-flight entertainment. It depends on whether I'm flying a night flight or not. If I'm flying a night flight, I don't tend to put the entertainment on because I just fall asleep straight away. I have the wonderful superpower of being able to fall asleep on any transport really, really quickly. The second we take off, if it's at the right time, I will be out like a light. That is a very good score to have. Uh, last one, violins in rock music. Hey, that's not fair. Because <laughs> we know who my favourite rock band is. Sally, was this you? I mean, look, maybe this was Sally. especially <laughs> pop punk. This was actually Franco, uh, our producer for our listeners out there. Violins so, in rock music, overrated or yep. underrated? Tell Completely us. underrated. Ooh, okay. <laughs> we'll add that to the show notes as well. <laughs> so now the tables have turned. Since you guys have grilled me, I'm going to grill you. It's a pop quiz. Oh, no. <laughs> so it's not opinionated. It's actually, there are actual answers. They're based on a Roy Morgan survey. Sally, Mark, where do you think internationally Australians go the most? Indonesia. Damn, I've seen a similar list and I think it's Indonesia as well. But I'm just going to, for the sake of difference, I'm going to say New Zealand. Mark wins. Uh... But to be fair, Indonesia or Bali in particular is in the top five. Yes. So the, the top five, the top five are New Zealand, England, the US, Bali, and France. Ooh, Ooh France, we we. Oui, oui. What about domestically, guys? The Gold Coast, <laughs> Melbourne, Sally. Oh. Number one, Melbourne. Italian. Sydney, Italian. number two, though. 
I was going to say Sydney, okay, yeah. but then I was like, why? Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> considering how much of our population is in Sydney, you're thinking we're going to a destination, yeah, right? Smart yeah. girl. Damn. So we've got yeah, Melbourne, <laughs> Sydney, Brisbane. So kind of close to the Gold Coast. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> Give him what he can get. Yeah. Exactly. North Coast, New South Wales and Canberra. Oh, mm. Canberra. I'm Questacon. G- yeah. Either Questacon or government. Okay, so final question. This one is based on Expedia data. So what do you think are the top five trending destinations for Australians this Christmas and summer period? I'm going to say Indonesia again. Oh, see, Sally, that's where you're wrong. I'm going to go with <laughs> Japan. Ooh, okay. Mm. So no to Japan. Oh, okay. But Indonesia, yes. <laughs> so Kangoo in Indonesia, not Bali though. Well, I'll see not myself exactly out. Bali, but Kangoo specifically. Okay, so that's one out of five. What are the other four? I'm going to say London just because it's always top of the, all lists for Australians. London's not that popular over Christmas. You know that? It's cold. It's well, people don't want a white Christmas. I was going to say New York. <laughs> that would be my dream. Yeah. Wait, I, I, I feel like people are a little more realistic than traveling this far <laughs> down. People let, are a little let, more realistic than you this, two. Let's shrink this globe a little bit. Okay. okay. <laughs> beach. With Sundays? With Sundays, so early beach. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's two. Here's a hint. The other three aren't in Australia. Fiji. Yes. 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 So the Annika Islands. In Fiji. Beautiful. All right, guys. Last guess. Two left. Asian destinations. Thailand. No. Mark? Hong Kong. Singapore? What are they? So it's Boracay Island in the Philippines and Langkawi in Malaysia. Wow. Thanks for that, Steph. That was awesome. It showed just how little we know about traveling. So we've spoken a lot about the trends for travel spending, but we also want to know about, you know, some of the trends that are happening right now in terms of the types of travel that people are interested in. So, yeah, people like more interested in roughing it, staying in hostels, um, you know, backpacking, or are they more interested in, I guess, like the planned potentially more expensive types of travel like going on Contiki if you're young, you're a young person or going on cruises or planned tours. A lot of people do travel with the intent to visit family and friends. So they're more likely to actually rough it. So 33.5% of Australians say that when they do travel, they stay with family on holiday or with friends. Um, and then another 17.9% say they stay in a standard hotel and motel. So even though there is obviously a love for the lux, trending wise, most people are still keeping their money close to their belts and spending less on accommodation than they are on, say, other things like experiences. There's no grand trend toward cruise destinations, about 3.6% of people say that they do take cruises. Still very much a more senior type crowd. (laughs) Mature Mature type crowd. Cruise ships are trying to bring in families and the younger clientele in, and there's definitely more interest in it, but it's still not the most popular. What are your tips for making travel more affordable? So obviously finding those deals. Again, sales happen very frequently. Look to finder.com.au slash travel to find all the best deals. I will let you in on all of my secrets. Also, keeping an open mind on when you travel, seasonal travel, school holiday travel is always going to be more expensive. So if you're willing to bend, say, one or two weeks before the school holidays, you can get a pretty, pretty good deal. And 
comparing your options as well. A lot of OTAs, so online travel agencies, let you compare prices across different brands, different hotels, different booking sites, and that way you can get the best value for the travel that you want. As a side note, have you ever made use of a glitch fare? And maybe you could explain that if if for listeners don't know. I have not made use of them. I've tried to, but... Sometimes they catch them a little too early and sometimes they do cancel them on you as well. So I have not made the most of them. But glitch fares are what happens when, say, data is inputted incorrectly. So something that might be maybe $900, maybe they've accidentally skipped one zero. So when you're looking, it will look like it's $90. So that's a glitch fare. But unfortunately, I haven't made the most of any of those. Have you guys? No. No, I wish. Yeah, I always I'll look at them. <laughs> and what are some travel costs that you should never skimp on? So we've just spoken about a bunch of things that, you know, you can look out for deals and whatnot. But is there anything that you're like, no, like I will invest the money in, in that, like accommodation or flights or insurance or something? I think mine would be accommodation these days. I've learned over the years, cheap accommodation generally means that Sometimes you're staying further away from all the attractions and so you're wasting time on transport and those prices can add up to the cost of, say, a mediocre stay in the middle of the city. So I'm right now prioritising a little bit more convenience rather than cost. So that's something that I'm not going to spend so much on. It's nicer to be able to not spend an hour on a train just to see something that I want to when I'm travelling. Yeah, that's a great point. So going back to Brazil, uh, we had the chance of staying in the city and then you would each day catch a bus or a boat to where you needed to go and then you know you may or may not get meals included or you can just stay where the action is, which might be a bit more expensive. Although once you figure in, like once you factor in tours and meals and all that, it, it actually ends up being cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like when you're traveling, things always take longer than you think they will mm. as well. Like. I don't know, even if it's a half an hour or 45 minute train trip from where you think you'll be spending the majority of the time on your trip, it ends up taking longer. Definitely. Well, I think it's also because you're in somewhere that you're unfamiliar with, right? So So it takes you longer to navigate, find out where you are, make sure you're on the right train or bus. Mm. Um, And then once you get off again, you're in, I'm not quite sure where my orientation is. And so everything just slows down a little bit. Yeah, definitely. So spending a little bit more on on accommodation can definitely pay off in that instance, I think. Convenience always. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think travel insurance, personally, I'm guessing we would all be in agreement, is something you don't want to skimp out on. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. Definitely. Definitely make sure um, when I look at... The travel insurance policy that I'm purchasing, that it does cover all the activities that I'm doing. Say if I'm renting a car, making sure that there's a good excess coverage on that. Or if maybe I'm taking a small cruise, so I've done mini cruises and making sure that those are covered as well. Because those are options as well. And extreme sports, Mm, like skiing, skiing snowboarding. Yeah, make sure you ask about this because some policies, they'll let you ski or snowboard on a standard insurance, it really depends on whether you're doing backcountry, but it also depends on the actual insurer. Well, that is awesome, uh, Steph. Any parting wisdom that you would give to our listeners that are eager to travel? Travel now. Travel is so affordable now. If you do have the time, if you do have the funds to do it, travel only gets more and more expensive the older you get. 
um, insurance policies get more expensive the older you get. Uh, so if you do want to go somewhere and the price is right, you have the time and you have the funds, why not? Let's book a flight now. I know. <laughs> Let's just point on the globe. <laughs> Thank you so much, Steph, for your time. Yeah, no worries. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Pocket Money from Finder. Head over to finder.com.au slash podcast for the show notes for this episode. The Finder podcast is intended to provide you with tips, tools, and strategies that will help you make better decisions. Although we're licensed and authorized, we don't provide financial advice. So please consider your own situation or get advice before making any decisions based on anything in our show. Thanks for listening. Paris. Yeah, I've heard that Paris is. Side note, we were walking past the Eiffel Tower and there was a homeless man pleasuring himself. And it was the first time we had seen the Eiffel Tower and we were like, And you'll never wow. think wow. of it. Well, this is That's what I think about now, yeah. yeah. I love that Mark said pleasuring himself. <laughs>